So we're starting a brand new series today called Follow Me. Uh, over the days and weeks ahead, uh, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about this idea uh, that Jesus calls his children to follow him. And so that should be the expectation. So here's the one thing that I want you to hear today. The one thing that's going to flow in and out of this whole series is disciples follow Jesus. That's what they do. They follow Jesus. That is the plain and simple truth. And here's a statement or a question to go with that. If you're not following Jesus, are you his disciples? See, look what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24. It says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And that's what we're going to talk about today. That's what we're going to spend the next few weeks over. I'm going to encourage you to get in one of the Gospels and just look at Jesus. Because if we're called to follow, we have to know who we're following, what we're following, and how we do that. And so today we're going to start in uh, looking at Jesus' calling some of his first disciples. But before we get into the word, let's pray. Jesus, I just want to declare that you're worthy to be followed. You lead us to peace. You lead us to righteousness. Lord, through us you help your kingdom come as we follow you. So Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to a willingness to hear you, to respond to you, and to follow. Lord, if we're stuck, I pray that you would help us get fixed on you and take steps to following you so that we could see you in our life, so we could see the influence and effect of your kingdom as we follow you. So open your word today as we hear you call your first disciples. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you're not familiar with the name, was um, a Christian pastor um, who spoke against Hitler in Germany, was thrown into a concentration camp, and was executed um, while there. And he wrote books like this. So when you hear someone talking about the cost of discipleship, he was someone that understood the cost of following Jesus. And so he wrote this in his book. It says, The call that establishes the way to discipleship is a call to follow a person, Jesus. It is not a call to follow some abstract theology or doctrinal statement. Christianity without the living Christ is inevitably Christianity without discipleship. And Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. If we're not following Jesus, we have missed the point. Jesus wasn't a placeholder for us in heaven. This interaction that we make, that we just we give him just enough so that we can have eternity outside of hell and with him, but we don't love him. And that's not what he's called us to do. He's called us to be disciples, and disciples follow Jesus. The Greek word that we translate as disciple means learner. A disciple is a learner from the Lord Jesus. A learner is a listener and a practitioner. And that is what we are being called to be, 
a learner. We should be looking to Jesus. Jesus should be influencing the way we think, the way we interact with people, the way we love people, the things that we do with our life and our money. And none of that happens without us following Him. And I just want to say that as we, we get into this, that, and I prayed this just a second ago, Jesus calls people, the imperfect, the broken, into a harmony with Him to follow, which, which should be the biggest honor for us as we hear Him calling the imperfect to follow. And Jesus did what was necessary for us to walk after Him, which was to go to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could know Him, so that we could be in harmony with the Father, again, for His sacrifice. Jesus says this about His sheep in John 10, verse 27. It says, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. I and the Father are one. We're not following a moral teacher that died thousands of years ago but left us with these powerful words. We're, dying, we're following a living Savior that desires us to know Him, to follow Him, and to trust Him today. So there's no better place, if we're going to talk about following for Him, um, than His first disciples. We're going to be in Matthew 4, a little section there, and Matthew 9. We're going to look at the first call uh, of two sets of brothers, and we'll talk about them a little bit. But Matthew 4, starting in verse 18. It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, they saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with Zebedee, their father mending their nets, and he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And you may be thinking, like, this is odd. Because at this point, Jesus is not very well known. Here's this rabbi that's walking by and randomly calling people to follow him, and they willingly give up everything to follow. They literally leave their boats there, they leave their father there, and they leave, and, and, and to understand this, you've got to understand a little bit more. In our culture, that's a little odd. In this culture, a rabbi calling you to be his disciple was a big deal. And all the people that we're going to at least interact with right here were people that missed the cut as far as it's related to other rabbis calling them. Because they're, they're past the age. Most disciples were called at a young age. They go through the school and, and, the, and the rabbi would pick the, the brightest and the best. And so just the indication that these have already left, they're already entered into their career. They're already doing this other thing. They've missed that opportunity. But when a rabbi calls you to be his disciple, it was a huge honor. So I always think, oh man, 
My goodness, they left the father. The father of James and John was probably ecstatic because it was a huge honor that their son, sons would be called to be disciples. And they left willingly everything. Then going into Matthew 9, so the calling of these first four common fishermen was odd. The calling of this next gentleman, Matthew, was, was beyond odd. It was unheard of. So in, in verse, chapter 9, verse 9, it says, And Jesus passed from there, and he saw a man called Matthew sitting in, at a tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. So let me explain this a little bit too, and if you've been around for a while, and if you are familiar with the text, you understand this, but let me just make this clear. Tax collectors aren't like our IRS. Like, we had not many of us, like, love letters from the IRS. I got one not too long ago said that I owed $85,000. That's terrifying. I don't make $85,000 in probably two years. And I'm like, what have I done? And it's scary when you get letters from the IRS. And we think, in our, in our minds, we're thinking, so Jesus is picking somebody that works for the IRS, which we wouldn't like. I mean, like, we don't like them, even though they're people. And some of them love Jesus, I'm sure. But you think, oh, and it wasn't like that. Here in this culture, we have the people of God that for generations have heard through Scripture, through prophets, that you are a chosen people, that you, you are destined to rule and reign, that, that, that we serve the one true and living God, and no one is stronger and pow- more powerful than Him. No one. And they find themselves being occupied by a foreign entity that doesn't believe in their God, doesn't think like they do at all, completely foreign. And they're subjects to this foreign entity that doesn't worship their God, doesn't think like they think. And this foreign entity is brilliant. They hire locals to charge taxes. Because when you're occupied, the one who occupies you has the right to say, hey, now I own you. I need some benefit out of you. You're going to pay taxes to me. And it's insulting for the people of God to pay taxes to this foreign pagan empire who's horrible, that that God is bigger than them, but for whatever reason, in this moment, they're occupied by them. And to pay taxes to them is just like a a stab in the back. But this entity hires locals, Jews, to become tax collectors and basically tells them, as long as you give us the part that we require, which is the money that is supposed to be collected in this region, what you charge on top of that, we don't care. And that's exactly what they did, is they charged their brothers and sisters extra (laughs) To make them wealthy. So to say that tax collectors were despised and hated would be an understatement. This tax collector, Matthew, most likely was not welcome if his parents were still alive. Was not welcome in his parents' house. You wouldn't go visit his parents and find a picture of Matthew in front of his tax booth. Go, look, this is our son. He's a tax collector. That would be like going to a house and somebody like, this is our son on the corner selling drugs. We're so proud of him. He's an entrepreneur. Man, it's 
great. That wasn't the case with Matthew. No one, which we're going to see, no one of any standing in this community would have anything to do with Matthew. And Jesus just walked by and invited him to be a disciple. Which is a big deal. In verse 10 it says, And Jesus, and as Jesus reclined at table in the house, he went to Matthew's house and said, Matthew, we're going to have dinner at your house. Invite some friends. Look, look and see who he invites. And behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. These are the only people that would hang out with Matthew were other tax collectors and sinners. This is his friends because no one else in the community would have anything to do with him. You don't see his family there. There's no brothers and sisters there. He just got asked to be a, a, a disciple of this becoming a, a, a not really well known right now, but an up and coming rabbi. And the only people that he can get to show up at his house were tax collectors and sinners. In verse 11, it says, when the Pharisees saw this, and they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? This is probably an open table. And, and as you see all through the Gospels, anytime there's a dinner, people that weren't invited to the dinner to eat were, in, were welcome to listen, to stand around and, and hear what's going on. And the Pharisees were tracking. I, I love that. They're everywhere Jesus is, not because they're following Jesus, because they love Jesus, because they trust in Jesus, they believe in Jesus. They're there to discredit him. And so I would say, this is Heath, not Scripture, because we don't know this, but I would say when they sat down at the table, all the disciples were down at one end, near Jesus. All the tax collectors and sinners were on the other end of the table. This is just what I think, because they're probably still thinking, Jesus, like this, I wouldn't pick him, Jesus. Like, I wouldn't doubt Peter, James, or John. We're like, Jesus, you're going to ruin us. And maybe they're like, they were feeling real special until they invited Matthew in. They're like, you'll pick anybody. And the Pharisees whisper to some of his disciples that are sitting around the table, why would your, why would your, why would your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because in, in this day, a rabbi would not do anything that would make him unclean, which eating with tax collectors and sinners would do that. And I love that they weren't addressing Jesus. They weren't asking Jesus directly. And maybe Jesus was talking at this point and they didn't want to interrupt him. But Jesus heard what they said and he responded. It says, but when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, go and learn what this means. And he's getting ready to quote a scripture to them. That they would know by heart. They would know the reference. And he goes and says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus was establishing what it looks like. Who was available to come into this circle of followers. And it wasn't their upbringing. It wasn't what they brought to the table. They weren't the elite. They weren't the valedictorians of their school. They weren't the ones that in their culture people are looking to to be like, this is going to be the next person. 
I mean, he had all kinds. He had a zealot, which we're like, what's a zealot? They were the ones that wanted to, like, burn stuff. They wanted, they wanted for whatever reason, they wanted, Jesus, not Jesus, they wanted God to get back in his place, and they would do whatever. I mean, he had crazy people in his disciples. And he brought them in. And, and so what I, what I want to do, I, I have a few little statements that I want us that I think we can glean from what we see with his disciples that will hopefully set us up in the weeks to come to when we see Jesus, because what he does from this point on, when they come on, he's working in and through his disciples. He's bringing them into lots of uncomfortable scenarios, trying to show them his heart. Here's the first thing. We get to know Jesus by following him. If you're struggling with, like, I, don't, I just don't feel it, and, like... I don't, I don't, like, I don't know what I need to know. I would encourage you, or I would ask you, are you following? Because if we look at this, the disciples, as much as they were willing to go, as much as they were willing to follow, they did not know Jesus. I think they were completely clueless throughout. I mean, they were zealous for Jesus, but they didn't get him. And along the way, they got to know Jesus, the heart of Jesus, so much so that when Acts came and the Holy Spirit is given to them, they were ready to be like Jesus. Let me tell you a little example of how they weren't like Jesus. James and John, which I love, they're rockheads. I feel like I'm going to get beat up in heaven. Like, say something to get me kicked. You don't know nothing. Well, James and John, they go into this town with Jesus, and Jesus was disrespected, and they were like, this is a rabbi. Like, mm. And he's like, Jesus, Jesus. They come to Jesus. You want us to call down fire from heaven? Like, destroy that city? Like, why they would come to Jesus and think, <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, man, I didn't even think about that. Could you do that? I mean, can you think, what would it take for you to come up to me after church and be like, Someone made a nasty comment about our church on Facebook. You mean go slash their tires? Do you mean go burn down their house? I'm like, no crazy. <laughs> Let's spend some time together and fix what's going on. But this is, they didn't, that's how much they didn't know about Jesus. They were ready. They, Jesus came to save and they were, they were ready for a rebellion. They were ready to get rid of Rome to set up a rule and reign, and they wanted to be a part of the winning team. And so they thought, this is what we do. We go in, because they read in the Old Testament, like, called on fire from heaven. And Jesus like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. You're not going to do that. But the disciples got to know Jesus as they followed. You, you see it as their eyes are opened. When Peter is asked later on by Jesus, who, who do people say that I am? And, and they regurgitate what the people of the area are saying, oh, some people say that you're John the Baptist raised from the dead. Some people say that you're the prophets from our old. Some people say this or that. And then Jesus turns it on them and it says, who do you say that I am? And Peter makes this statement that Jesus says, this is not from just from you. Like, this is from God. He said, you are the Christ, the Messiah. They, did, they missed it. Peter gets rebuked by Jesus because he missed it. He tells them, I have to go. And, and they knew the Old Testament. They knew what was coming. And, he, and they were still going, you're not going to die. Peter rebukes him. And Jesus calls him Satan. 
which that's a bad day. When Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And he's not talking about the wicked, evil people. He's talking about you. So we get to know Jesus as we follow. And that's what I'm going to encourage us to do as the weeks go on, that we look to Jesus and we do everything in our power to follow him because in following him, we experience him. Here's another statement. He wasn't calling the perfect. I think some of us miss out on what God wants to do tomorrow because we disqualify ourselves. You go, well, God wouldn't call me that. God wouldn't do this. I mean, God used people that no one else would use to do what he did with them. There was no other religious leaders going, ooh, I was getting ready to pick Peter and Andrew, James and John and Matthew, but Jesus beat me to them. Jesus called the imperfect because he knew in them he could do great things. I'm grateful because I'm aware of my imperfection. I'm grateful that Jesus isn't looking for the perfect. I'm grateful that Jesus has mercy as we follow, as we attempt to stand in and walk in His grace and mercy. I'm grateful that He isn't expecting perfection. And we see that through His disciples, which we'll see. They made lots of mistakes. They misinterpreted what He was doing. They missed things altogether, but He had grace for them. He's calling the broken to come and follow and trust Him. So we get to know Jesus as we follow. I I honestly believe that's the only way we really get to know Jesus. He isn't calling the perfect, but He's calling the broken to be perfected by Him. And the last thing here is He saw what others couldn't. He saw their potential. He knew the power of a surrendered and willing heart of what he could do with that. Because he took this ragtag, even after Jesus had ascended, even after that, when, when Pentecost came and, and Peter had his, his like first amazing sermon and 3,000 people get saved, they're like, who? This is just, these are just common people. Like These are unlearned people. They knew that it wasn't just them. Jesus saw their potential. When Jesus picked Peter off or out of the boat, he saw what Peter was going to become. And I think we need to have grace for what Jesus is bringing out of us. Because anywhere around the story, you would have, me, like if I was the leader, if I was Jesus, which... Okay, let me just, just in case you're confused, I'm not Jesus. Never claimed to be. When I do, please bind me and bring the, call the elders. Something has gone horribly wrong. But he saw the potential of what he was going to do with these guys. And like, if I was Jesus, I'd be like, you're, you're just annoying. Like, no, you're out. But he saw the potential and he kept as long as they were willing to stay, which they did, even though at times when people left and Jesus turned to his disciples, are you going to leave me too? And they're like, where else would we go? He saw the potential of that surrendered and willing heart. 
And he shaped and molded them along the way. Out of that following Jesus, out of that surrender and movement, he shapes us. So this is where we're going. This is where I want to spend the next few weeks thinking about this reality. Disciples follow Jesus. They look to Jesus and follow. They learn his voice and they obey it. And so what I'm going to challenge you over the next few weeks is to look at what Jesus is doing in you right now and step into that. I'm going to encourage you, if you don't already have a plan or if you do have a plan, add this to it. Pick a gospel. I'm going to be preaching through the gospel, not all every verse of the gospel, but I'm going to be using the gospels for this. And I encourage you to pick one of the Gospels and start looking at Jesus through the lens of what, what, is, he, what is He doing? Because these interactions, these things that He's doing, He's calling us to be in it. But let me, let me, let me settle this, because I think sometimes we hear pastors, we hear people telling us to do one more thing, and we feel like, I'm already struggling. Like I don't, I'm, already, I'm already stinking at life. I'm already doing a horrible job. How can I? Let me... Let me, let me clear the, the path for the Holy Spirit. You don't have the capacity to follow Jesus in yourself. And that's why the beauty is that he gives us this power source. He gives us the Holy Spirit. And that deposit in us, it's not about you trying harder. It's not about you going, well, if I see Jesus doing this and I hear Jesus preaching that, I have to do this. It's you surrendering to the Holy Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit the power to help you live what he's required. He's not requiring you. Like he didn't pick the disciples and then next week throw them out he, into the world. He spent three years with them. And I believe as we surrender weekly, daily, and just say, God, in inviting the Holy Spirit to into what you're going to do that day, ask Him to show you what today is going to bring. I, I believe there, and I love, uh, and I talked about this before, but I love experiencing God in a sense. If you're not taking, uh, it's a small group that we do here. And it's this idea of looking for God around you and not creating something new. All God is asking you to do is to get involved in what He's already doing. God is already active in our city. And all He's asking you to do is to participate in what He is doing in our city. You know, I'm I'm not saying like a ministry. Oh, there's a ministry this or that. Yes. I'm talking about God's active already here. There are people in this city that are His future sons and daughters. That He is right now, working on. And all he's calling you to do is to interact with what he's already doing. And we get to tap into that through him. I'm going to invite our worship team back up. And I just want to challenge you. Like I I feel like in this season, let let me, I said this first service, I'm going to say it again. I think if we were as interested in following Jesus as we are political candidates and political parties, posting about it, talking about it, losing sleep over it, our city and our church would be different. 
if Jesus was that important to us. And I'm not discounting politics aren't important. Don't hear that. I'm not advocating from one party over the next. My, my Savior is Jesus. He is King. He's the one that brings influence. And I'm just, I'm just challenging the way we get excited about some things. And we can't help talking about it. We can't help interacting with other people about it. That needs to be Jesus. Because if, if you've been alive long enough, here, here's what's going to happen in our political system. The other party is going to get power again. Then it's going to swap. It's going to swap. It's going to swap. That's what happens. And we're still here. That isn't going to change. Our eternity and what's going to bring influence and change to people's life is Jesus. And it's time for us to start looking to Jesus to lead us into those places that will have lasting impact. I want us to get excited about what Jesus wants to do through us. And let me just tell you, it is not going to be easy. If you think there's resistance from one party to the next, there's resistance to Jesus. There are strongholds in our city that don't want Jesus. I mean, you can talk about God and all these things, and when you bring the name of Jesus in, it changes. Let's follow like it matters. Let's spend our effort and energy spending time with our Savior so that we can naturally act and respond like He does. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it is by Your grace and mercy that we have breath in our lungs, that we have life in our bodies. Lord, I pray that we would be as passionate about what you want to do in us and through us. Lord, help us get excited about the reality that we get to participate in something that matters, not just for today, not just for 2020, but matters for eternity. Lord, I pray that we would have peace and security in you so that when we're challenged, when we're confronted, when the world comes against you, or that our peace and security would be in who you say that we are. So Lord, I pray that we would be children that follow, not children just that identify with, that claim you, but I pray that we would be children that actively pursue you. Help us in our imperfect way follow you. Lord, I just proclaim your word that says as we draw near to you, you draw near to us. Lord, I pray that as we take steps forward that we would experience you. That we would know you. And Lord, that we would be faithfully in, faithful in our response as you call us to move Lord, I pray that if there's doubt in this room, if there's uncertainty about who you are, Lord, I pray that you would help settle that. Lord, just like you called your disciples to follow you, I pray that this morning that would be felt 
in this room that you're calling people in their imperfections to know you, to experience you, to experience the life that you offer. So, Lord, thank you for your grace. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified as we worship. In Jesus' name.